And we are live in three, two, one. Assalamu alaikum, guys. Welcome to the Ummapreneur live podcast in a first never before seen um, format where we're actually going to do this in person. And yes, we are maintaining social distancing guidelines. We will not be touching each other today, but we're going to bring you an in-person interview right now or more like an in-person conversation between me and Rami to reveal exactly the man behind the microphone. Who exactly is Abi Al-Asmar? Who is this mysterious person who created this Ummapreneur brand and who is trying to help Muslims create online businesses? What does his journey look like? What has he learned over the years? And what can he teach us today? So guys, this is your chance to actually get to know me, to get to know my story, to ask me all the questions you've been dying to ask and get your answers. And I will really reveal everything to you today on this podcast, including how I got started, all the businesses that I've run across my journey and where I am today and where I want to go, inshallah, in the future. And I am joined by none other than Rami Yahya, founder of Custom Heats. Rami, thanks so much for being here, my man. Thank you very much, and I'm grateful to have you on your own show today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, and honestly, I just want to thank Rami and give him a quick shout out because he was so kind to actually realize that I wanted to do this. And he's like, you know what? You probably need some help because um, it's going to be hard for you to interview yourself. So I'm like, you know what? 100%. If you can come and join me here, that, that would be great. And he took time out, out of his day to do this. So just shout out to Rami. Thank you for being here, my man, and for joining me today. And I'm really happy to be able to be here in front of you and learn a bit of from your experiences. Um, so without any further ado. <laughs> Definitely. Let's dive right in, man. So I think one of the first times we met, uh, we bonded a lot together from the fact that we're both entrepreneurs. Uh, you were working on your kind of social media platform. But before this, um, I think you were working on some form of forums where people could discuss about cell phone related issues. Can you dive back a bit into your first venture and yeah. how did that came into the picture? 100% man. So I'm going to, I'm going to dive into that. So again, just thank you for everyone that's here and on the live today, I'm going to answer this question and so much more. And I just want to give a shout out for all of you here. Let me know that you're live. Just drop a hashtag live inshallah. As you can see, I can't stop myself. I have to do the hosting. Uh, it's just in me, but I'm going to answer that question. So Rami asked me a very interesting question. It's how did I even get started with my first businessman. And the truth is, as you mentioned, it all started with cell phones, which was an interesting journey. It was an interesting journey, really. And essentially, to tell you about my first business, I first have to tell you about my first job. And so let's rewind back to when I was 18, 19, still going to college and working part time. And my first job, I was working at a telecom called TELUS that we have here in Canada. And they provide you with like cell phone services, with internet and all these amazing things. And I was able to get accepted there as a part-time service technician. And so what that means is I would go and I would answer the phones and I would like help people who had cell phone problems and cell phone issues. And I would do that troubleshooting for them. And as you know, that grew from there to be its own business. But how that journey came about was I used to get all these phone calls of these people at my job who were calling in with these very simple issues on their phone, right? Like they would call Telus and be like, hey, my internet isn't working or hey, um, I'm trying to open like my browser, my camera, it's not opening up, my phone is laggy, what can I do? And the interesting thing about working at Telus guys is that they didn't actually give you a owner's manual like they didn't tell you, okay, this is how you solve all these problems for your for our customers. They're just like, here, take this phone, 
and we'll pay you a certain amount per hour and just figure it out, which I think a lot of minimum wage jobs do. So I was just thrown into that world and I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure you've worked other minimum wage jobs. And what I realized is that all these people calling in that had these different issues, when I would search for them online, I would just go on Google and be like, okay, how can I help this person? Their camera isn't working. They're, they can't browse internet on their cell phone. I would go and I would Google the problem and I would find answers, but they were kind of all over the place, right? They were like some person had a certain answer on a forum. Another person had a different answer. And it was hard to find like a one-stop shop for everything. So I decided, okay, why don't I make my own? Why don't I create this one-stop shop where people could go online, search their problem on their cell phone and actually get an answer immediately to their question, like with a step-by-step -step guide on how to fix this. And the more I worked at TELUS as a service tech on the phones, just like troubleshooting people's issues with their cell phones, the more I got comfortable with the problems that we had that came up and how to solve them. And I'm like, okay, let me just create a guide online to help people solve it on their own, just like these step-by-step -step guides. Um, just to, I just have a quick question over here, yeah, um, because like any kind of business getting your first customer is kind of the hardest task. Right. Uh, but in your case, you're not really selling a product. How did you get your first 1000 clicks on your website? hundred percent. That's a really good question, man. I'm happy you asked that. So initially what I did is I would, every time someone would call in to tell us with a, with a cell phone problem, with an issue with their phone, I would write down what the problem was in a notepad. Okay, so I would go and I would write down that problem in a notepad and save it for later. Then I would go home. I would look at this notepad that had all these different issues that people called in with. And I would create guides for the ones that came up the most often. So, for example, we had a lot of people that used to call, for example, for the iPhone 6. They had problems with GPS, right? A lot of people with maybe the Samsung Galaxy S5, they had problems when it came to uh, their data cutting off or apps being a bit laggy. So I would note down all of these things and whatever was recurring, whatever happened a lot, that's the, the ones, the problems that I would create guides for. And I would go and I would create this very simple website, almost like an online blog. And I would create these step-by-step -step solutions. Like, all right, if you, if you have a problem with your cell phone, with your smartphone, and you can't connect to the internet with your iPhone 6 or with your Samsung, you can't load up apps, here's step-by-step -step how to fix it. And the cool thing about this is, and I hope like Telus doesn't sue me for, for saying this, but because I had access to all the smartphones in the world, thanks to my company that I used to work at, I could even go into the phones themselves and see, okay, how do I navigate into the settings? How do I go to this feature? How do I go to that feature? So I had access to these cell phones and I would go and I would be able to write guides for them step-by-step. Step. So the secret to getting clicks at first and to even grow my website is I just looked at, okay, what problems do the most people have? Right. And I think that's something that we can probably like relate to every business, which is you're trying to solve a problem and you want to solve a big problem. The bigger, the bigger problem you solve, the more successful you'll be. What I find interesting over here is that the phone calls that you were getting in one way or another, you kind of uh, converted this into data. Right. Because you were able to know, let's just say you would get 20 calls a day on one particular issue. You probably knew that there's a bigger sample size this is just a sample size yeah and that there's a huge uh demand to have these kinds of problems uh solved yeah so i'm assuming you had to work a bit on seo then 100 to kind of get to be listed number one 100%. for these queries can you kind of talk about some of your seo yeah quick hacks 100 percent. so guys i'm gonna give you guys i'm gonna give you guys some seo tips right now on how i actually got my first thousand clicks and even how eventually 
with time, as I added more and more guides on the website, it grew to over 350,000 visitors every month. And I'm also going to tell you guys how I monetized that and started making money out of it. Um, so for SEO, for myself, it was really simple. It was what kind of title, what was the keywords that people were searching for when they had these problems, right? And this is something that you can actually look for. Uh, there's keyword research tools online. There's something called Google Trends as well. And if you can go and look, what are the most searched keywords for different phrases or different sentences or different words? What do people search for when they have this problem? And I would go and I would look, okay, if someone has a problem with their iPhone or with their Samsung or uh, with whatever phone that I, I was trying to help them with, what were they looking for in Google? What were they typing? And so it was really simple. For example, someone has a problem with their iPhone 6 camera, they're going to write iPhone 6 camera problem. Or they have fallen with their Samsung data, they're going to be Samsung Galaxy S8 data not working. So it's kind of like these caveman sentences. So this is what I would do. I would, the title of the page, which is my heading, and this is for my SEO gurus, guys. If, if you have a website and you want to get more visitors, uh, you want to make sure that your title is under heading marks, like the H1 that I'm sure you know about. My heading would be for sure including these keywords. So if it was a data not working that I see most people would search for, I'd made sure the title said Samsung Galaxy S8 data not working, how to fix, right? Like caveman terms. You basically matched the... I matched the exact keywords that people were searching for. People didn't search for these like complicated like sentences that we think well, of, right? Because like, the people that kind of knew the actual term for these pro for these problems yeah. probably wouldn't be the one searching for them. 100%, exactly. And it's kind of like this, I think this is, it's the same thing for any business, right? Like let's say you're trying to, like you're a fitness trainer or let's say you're uh, maybe a photographer or maybe you, you want to do uh, something like uh, mindset coaching. People are not searching for how do I increase my love, the level of confidence I have or how do I, uh, how, how do I take the nicest photos in this, type of lighting. They're just going to search how to take nice photos, right? Or how to lose weight, right? Like the most people search for cave in caveman terms, really. So you want to make sure your titles match that. And what I did as well, and this is kind of like a, I was, I don't know if Google really still allows that, but back in, back when I started this company, I would stuff my page with these keywords too. So that's a really important thing is that it, it's something called keyword stuffing. Now, a lot of SEO gurus might tell you not to do that on your websites. Um, and, and I think now Google actually penalizes you for it. If, if it doesn't make sense, if you're just putting keywords in there for the sake of putting keywords, but if you can find a way to include them in the most phrases as possible, you want to have those keywords pop up on the page as often as possible. So let's say the problem is iPhone six data, not working. You want to make sure the words iPhone six and data, not working are showing up on the page at least like 10, 20 times through your guide. And I would even write, um, like an intro, like this is a guide on how to fix your problem if your iPhone 6 mobile data or cell phone internet is not working. So that, let's say someone searches mobile data or internet, uh, both keywords are there. You're basically double dipping. I'm double dipping, bro. And I was sometimes triple dipping, I was sometimes quadruple dipping. So you wanna think how are people searching for the, the service that I offer, right? How, how are people searching for their problems or their solutions? And how can I include as many of these ter terms and keywords on my pages to get more visitors? And, I created this website working part-time in TELUS while still going to school back in the day. And 
it grew naturally, like no advertising, no money, whatever, from like a thousand visitors a month to 2000 to 3000 to 10,000, all the way to 350,000 every single month, guys. And I didn't spend a dollar on marketing. It was all now, a steal. Um, now that you have 350,000 visitors, monthly visitors on your website, there are probably some no-brainer ways to uh, advert to, to to monetize. Yeah. Can you kind of elaborate a bit more on the how you were able to turn these visitors into revenue streams for yourself? For sure, that's a really good question, and I guess this one is more. Um, I would say this is more for like all the viewers on here that have a website and, and that want to get more visitors and that want to monetize their visitors. There's obviously two ways for services. I didn't have a service I could offer. I didn't have a product I sold or I even wanted to sell. Like my, what my product was my articles, my guides, but how could I monetize that? I couldn't charge people to view it, you know, because then I would lose a huge part of my audience. People didn't want to pay for an online tutorial on how to fix something. So how could I make money? Well, what I did and what you still can do to this day is leverage the Google ads platform. You see, Google ads allows you to actually become an advertiser yourself by placing their ads on your website, right? So for websites that have a lot of visitors or blogs or um, websites that are focused on content, media publishing, these websites you can monetize just by going in Google, signing up as a publisher, and you place like a piece of code and, and you'll have banners that show up from other people that are advertising on Google and Google pays you for that. So whenever someone comes on your website, if there is a Google ad that shows up, that website is getting paid. And so I Google would pay me every time someone landed on my website because I would display their ads on my site. And that's how I made money. Now I have a quick question for you because the people that go on your website obviously have a problem. And you're kind of in a tricky situation where once you solve their problem, there's no point for them to go back on your website. Yes, that's a good, so that's a good how point. So how do you turn your visitors into kind of recurring visitors? That's a really... Because if your product yes, is too good, 100%. then that's actually... yeah. Hundred No, dude, 100%. And I completely agree. And that was probably one of my biggest struggles, man. Like in terms of this business, that was one of my biggest problems is I needed to, to constantly create fresh content to keep new people coming. Like with the new phones that came out, with the new issues that came up. So then I'm like, okay, how do I keep people who have already come to visit back. Now, of course, you have the standard where you can get people to sign up for your newsletter. And I did that. So when people landed on my website, there's a pop-up and it asks for their email and it tells them I'll send them like the latest smartphone news and tips and deals. So that was one way. And then another way was I thought, okay, maybe I should start adding more value than just cell phone guides. Maybe I should do something that would interest people to come back. And that's when I decided maybe I should create something like a forum where people could sign up. And not only did they have the guides, but they could also ask, post their own questions and get answers. And so it became almost like a self-smartphone community for like all of these smartphone geeks, if that makes sense. So you're basically building the community that you were able to host and yeah. turn them into content generators. Pretty much. Like, so I, now I had people that were themselves posting questions and answering them and answering them and creating content for me on my platform. And so they were helping me grow the website and it created a place where people could come back they could interact and they could actually become long-term users of this, of the site. Um, now that there are so many different channels uh, or tools that facilitate the creation of merchandise. Yeah. 
uh, do you think that there would be a way right now if you would have been if you would yes. have still have kept your business 100%. to have found you would you have found other revenue streams that would have been maybe more appropriate with the current technology that we have available for 100 percent and that I love that question Rami so thank you for asking that man um so if I if I were to do it over again, guys, what I would definitely do, if you have an, a sizable audience that's going to a website, if you have traffic that's going to a certain site, then what you can do is you can actually 100% sell them products because they're interested in the topic. So what I would definitely do in hindsight is I would create an online store that's part of my website and I would sell things like phone cases, phone chargers or wireless chargers or maybe headphones. And the coolest thing about that, guys, and let me tell you this, listen to this, this is pretty cool, is that I had the data on what kind of phones these people were using, right? Because if someone lands on a guide that I had for a Samsung Galaxy S6 data issue or internet problem. Broken screen. I, broken screen. I knew that person had a broken screen on a Samsung Galaxy S6. So I was missing a golden opportunity to then go on Facebook and advertise to that person a broke a screen a new screen for a Galaxy S6. And it's so easy setting it up with the technology you have now. You have Shopify, uh, you have the Facebook Pixel, which tracks every single page like Printful. that people go on. Printful, all these amazing apps that help you track. So 100% in hindsight, that's what I would have done. That's what I would have done. And then at a certain point, you were kind of at a maybe a roadblock or where you kind of had to take a decision whether you wanted to sell or keep the business. Yeah. What was the thinking process behind this? And how did you just sell your business? That's a really good question, guys. So that was my first business. I created it when I was still going to school, right? So I got a little taste of that, of that like entrepreneurship lifestyle, or at least like the ability to realize that I could actually make my own money and I didn't need to rely on a certain job or income or employer to make that money. So I was able to generate my own income and at a young age to realize that that was possible and that it wasn't honestly as hard as I thought it would be gave me a lot of inspiration to be like, okay, do I want to continue in school or do I want to just keep doing this business thing and, 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 and grow it and see where I could go with this. And after thinking about it for a long time, I realized that there wasn't anything within the educational system that I was really passionate about that I was really excited about. So I decided, okay, probably I think the best thing for me is to dive into this entrepreneurial thing and see where it goes. And I'm like, I'm young. I have the opportunity to make mistakes and worst case, like worst comes to worst, I can always fall back and go complete my education and go the traditional nine to five route. And obviously um, when you come up to your parents or your family and you tell them that they might have some questions, but luckily for me, because I had a proven track record, like I had already started this website, this media company that was already generating me money substantially. And I was able to prove to people that, Hey, like I'm already making money from this. I definitely believe I can do more of this. It wasn't as hard as, uh, as other people would expect. And thankfully my parents were really supportive when I told them that I'm going to quit school and do this full time. And uh, everyone around me was pretty supportive, which was definitely key in my journey. And so that was one step that I just had to address because like with the support of my family, I wouldn't be able to be where I am today. And that was huge. And then when I was able to dive into the business full time, I started looking at, okay, how can I increase my income from this? How can I really turn this into 
a company that I could just live the lifestyle I wanted at a grand scale. And not only that, but start hiring employees and really scaling my income to that, you know, six or seven figure level that people want to get to. And after breaking the numbers down, I realized that I wasn't as in control of my income within this business model as I would like to be because my business model was again, an online media company. So I was creating these online guides and these online troubleshooting how to's and I was dependent on the traffic that came in and the Google platform to pay me right now. Like I told you in hindsight, I should have probably created an online store and I could have been super profitable with that. But during that time, that wasn't an option for me or I just didn't think about it. Um, so I said, okay, you know what, what if I sell this business and start something where I can really dramatically increase my income and have full control over it. And when I started looking at different business models that I could start or different businesses that I could start that could get me to a high level of income fast, the one that I really um, got attracted to and that appealed to me was a service-based business, right? So something like coaching, consulting, just providing a service because in those types of businesses, you can charge people depending on what you offer, like $1,000 or $1,500 for some offer, some service. And the more clients you got, the more income you made. So in the sell guide, I was making maybe two, $3,000, maybe four, but to increase and get to that $10,000 a month mark or that $20,000 a month mark, I would have to do like 10 times the amount of work. Whereas I knew, I knew with a service-based business, I needed 10 clients paying me $1,000 a month to make $10,000 a month. So I'm like, okay, the numbers make sense. The math makes sense. I want to give that a try. So I'm like, let me go ahead and sell what I built while it's still profitable and running well. So I could go and move on to the next venture, the next thing. So, I mean, this might be just a, just quickly because uh, yeah, there's different it. ways to sell your business right mm-hmm. now. Um, did you use a specific platform? Did yeah. you use a, a broker? Because I mean, Selling a business online is a bit more difficult than selling a restaurant in your in your town, right? So, yeah. uh, what kind of challenges did you get in selling your own business? Hundred percent. So, my business was online. So, luckily for me, it wasn't as complicated, of course, as trying to sell something like a retail store or something with a physical location, mm-hmm. uh, something brick and mortar, right? So, there is this platform online uh, that's called Flippa. So, F L I P P A dot com. And you could actually go on there. And if you have an online business, you can post your online business for sale. And a lot of times, if it's a really profitable business, if it's something that's working really well, uh, the guys at Flippa will email you and they'll walk you through step by step how to make your listing and how to sell your business, making sure the money goes into your account and everything is done properly. So I wasn't even sure I wanted to use that platform. So I just they have a thing where you can go and get a quote, like get an idea of what the valuation of your business is on their website and how much you could sell it for. And I went and I like filled out the form to get a quote for my business. And then I get an email from this guy who was like super excited. And he's like, I want to help you sell this. And I think it's like a great business and for free, we'll promote this business for you on our website and put it on the front page, send it to all our newsletters, because we think this is a business that is going to sell super quick. And I knew it was because this media company didn't take a lot of people to run. It took maybe two or three people to run at most. And the visitors were there and you were making thousands of dollars a month, like passive income, pretty much. You just had to update the guys every once in a while. So I knew anyone would love to buy this business. And uh, just to give you an idea for businesses like that, the valuation will usually be the income level for three years. That's the valuation price. 
So for the style guide, I have to look the, out, monthly. the monthly income level, but three times three, like what could you 36. make in three years? And then that's usually like what you want to price your business at. So I looked at my income level. I calculated, okay, how much would it be? How much would I get if I just kept it for the next three years? And so I increased that by a little bit. And then I put, put that as my price. After a couple of days, I got an offer for even higher than my asking wow. price. Like someone emailed me and they're like, hey, like how much can I give you to like buy this business right today. now? Today. And I'm like, okay, this is how much I want. Uh, and it was, in, it was in the high, high, like six figures. And he's like, in five figures, sorry. And then he's like, okay, cool. I'm done. Let's do it. And I'm like, whoa, really? It was like, this easy. You want to buy it? Like, cool. All right, man, let's do it. So I knew like by selling the business like that, I would now had like a reserve of savings that I, that could hold me afloat to be able to start this new business and just be comfortable. So I'm like, all right, pulled the trigger, sold it on flipper.com. Uh, he transferred the money into my account. And then that was that I gave him all the accesses and I just moved on. And then you moved on. You dropped out of school around that time, yes. as you mentioned, and now you started the social media, uh, sorry, the kind of coaching service um, uh, yeah. uh, venture. How did you get your first customer in that venture? Because it's obviously, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, you definitely have to advertise to get your first customer or yeah. something along those lines. You can't really sure. rely on content. So how did that go? That's a good question, man. So the next business, as you mentioned, it was like related to social media and, and, and more specifically consulting and it's digital offering specifically digital marketing for the healthcare industry. And I'll tell you guys why I picked that as a business and why that was what I wanted to focus on. And it was very strategic. And I think for any person that's starting a business, you want to kind of balance how you want to balance what you love and what you're excited about, what your skills are, and also what's the market demand right now? Like, what are people looking for? What are people willing to pay for? What kind of prices are they willing to pay for that service? So as much as, you know, I might say, yeah, go for your passion, go for like what you're excited about, what your skills are, but also go for something that makes sense in terms of the market. What's the demand and how much are they willing to pay for it? And that's the, the research that I made. And what I found was that if I could offer digital marketing services and specifically Facebook ads, for local businesses, they were willing to pay these digital marketers $1,000 or more every single month to have people running ads for them. And the industry, one of the industries that was the most profitable within that sphere, within that niche, is the healthcare industry uh, for a few reasons. The healthcare industry, especially in the US, is an industry where every single patient that walks in the door or every single person that walks in the door is worth to that practitioner sometimes a thousand dollars sometimes two sometimes four thousand dollars or even more so i knew that if i was charging my clients a thousand dollars a month to run the facebook ads for them and i could get them at least two or three clients it's they, worth it they're worth it they're making their money back so it was a strategic decision and it was also a decision where I also still liked what I was doing because I was excited about marketing. I was excited about, um, you know, going on social media and, and being able to learn that more in depth. So that's when I decided, OK, digital marketing for local businesses, specifically healthcare. And uh, was this all hypothetical or did you actually have uh, actual data to back your information on the healthcare industry in the United States? Like how did yeah. you kind of just navigate this through? That's a good question. So that's where I'll say that I owe a lot to um, my mentor and my mentor is someone, David, I won't, I won't mention his last name, uh, but he is someone that I, when I was doing my research, I found 
this other marketer that was already doing this, that was running digital marketing for healthcare practitioners and he was crushing it. And so I actually reached out to him because the best thing that you can do if you're thinking of starting a business or if you're thinking of starting some sort of venture is go to someone else that's already done it and ask, ask them about it, strike up a conversation and see, okay, you know, how profitable is this? And, you know, is this something that maybe I could get into? Would you be willing to coach me? Would you be willing to be willing to help me out? And so that's what I did. I went to him and I, someone else that, you know, I knew was already doing great within this industry. And I said, okay, can you help me? I want to start a business within this industry. I want to do digital, digital marketing. Can you teach me everything I need to know and how to price myself, how to talk to these people, everything. And I got ignored, like completely. Didn't even get an answer. So then I waited a few days, waited a few days, no answer again. So I'm like, okay, let me send another message. Sent another message. I got ignored again and no answer. I'm like, okay, uh, let me see how else I can contact this guy, how I can, you know, like get myself in front of him. So you opened a health practitioner service. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish I did that, but that's not what I did. What I did instead was I said, okay, I looked at, okay, what platforms is he on and, and what kind of, you know, where could I actually join his community or join, you know, uh, with his tribe or become one of his fans essentially to kind of gain access to him. And he had a Facebook group during that time. Um, and I was able to join that Facebook group. And then within that group, I was able to comment on one of his posts and get his attention. And then I was able to strike up a conversation. So just a quick tip for you guys, if you're trying to get in contact with someone, if you're, you know, if you're trying to uh, connect with an influencer, connect with an authority in your niche and you send them a private message out of nowhere and they might not reply, try to access them in a different way, you know, look for different doors. You know, do they have a Facebook group? Do they have a community? Do they have a website? Do they have a, a newsletter, a podcast, like anything that you can get access to. So that's what I did. And I was able to finally get him on a call. And I told him, listen, man, I'd love it if you could coach me on this because I want to do the same thing. And he said, all right, this is how much it is for you for, for me to coach you. I'll coach you for the next like three months. And then you'll be on your own to go uh, and you'll be good to go. And I said, all right, let's do it. And I paid him. I got coached. And then I started going all in on this business. So your business started growing. You had more and more health practitioners that were trusting you to manage their social media and your services. Yeah. Um, how did that go yes. in general? Because I mean, yeah, it's, that's a good it's, question. It, it sounds as simple as getting 10 clients to pay you a thousand dollars a month, yeah, bro. but so things can go wrong. hundred percent. It is not as simple. I know I'm making it sound a lot simpler than it is, uh, but it's actually a lot more complicated and it took me a lot of work. And I say, it's actually one of the toughest periods in my life that I had to go through, um, for a few reasons, for a few reasons, really. So number one is it actually didn't work out at first. So I got coached for around like three months. I learned everything that I needed to learn. And I actually paid uh, a lot of money to learn, you know, the skills that I needed, Facebook ads and how to like market to chiropractors and work with them. And then when it came time to getting clients, I started posting on Facebook. I started cold calling. I started sending emails. I started uh, reaching out in any way possible to these healthcare practitioners. But I would get most of the time just a simple reply that said, no, I'm not interested. Right? These people were interested to work with me. And I, and I kept racking my brain thinking, why aren't they interested to work with me? What could I do to get them to work with me? Um, how could I position myself as someone that they could trust so that they could work with me and, and pay me the, the amount that I'm asking for? And for the first five months in this business, I was making zero dollars. Like I wasn't making money. I was actually losing money. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. A lot of people think that 
when you first start a business, it's going to be easy. It's going to be a breeze. You know, everything works out. But most of the time, that's not the case. The first few months are always the hardest. And so first five months, man, I didn't get any clients. I wasn't making any money. It was the struggle. And I think those were the toughest months on my mindset because I had such a hard time staying positive and just remembering that, okay, like I'm doing this because I want to get to a certain goal. And to get to that goal, I need to focus on this task and I need to make sure that I find a way that that works, that no matter what it takes, no matter what I do. And eventually I'm like, okay, instead of maybe trying to get people as clients right away, let me try to build up my cred. So I started offering free trials. So I would go up to these local healthcare practitioners and all these business owners. And I would say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm willing to run your marketing for free uh, for the next week or two. Um, all I need you to do is pay for the ads. You don't have to pay me. And let me just get you a few new clients. Let me get you a few new patients in the door. And all I ask for in return is a testimonial. If you could fill me some sort of testimonial, some video where, you know, you could say that I helped you out and that, you know, you enjoyed the service, that would be awesome. And most people were happy to take me up on that because, again, who doesn't want a service for free that could help them grow their business? Well, you're offsetting the risk. 100%. Exactly. There's no risk to them at all. And I'm just telling them, hey, listen, I'll run your ads for free. Um, all I need is a video testimonial. And then... I just started doing that for a bunch of local business owners that were willing to take me up on that offer. And after I got a bunch of video testimonials, I was then able to be like, okay, let me build up my, a brand. Let me like put those video testimonials on my profiles, on my websites. And now when I would reach out to business owners, I actually had like backing. I had testimonials from other business owners in the healthcare industry that got great results with me. And I was able to prove that to them. And so now I had leverage. So when I walked into the door, when I called these people, when I send them a message on social media, on in, in an email, they would go on my site or I would link a testimonial and they could see, okay, this person can get results. And that gave me the power that I needed to start getting my first few clients. Now, uh, this is kind of uh, something that people like to debate around yeah. is uh, how to monetize customers that already got a service for free. Right. Because sometimes it gets even more difficult mm -hmm. to get someone who got a free service to then pay. Yeah. So did you get any conversions from these That's... customers that were that got yes. the free service and then were able to then value the $1,000, $2,000 a month that you were wanting yeah. to, to charge them? Amazing. Honestly, amazing question. And it is something that I tried to do. So definitely offering a free trial was not the only thing that I wanted to do. Of course, I wanted to see, okay, was there an option for me to upsell this person into services if they, if they liked it. And so what I did is I would tell each one of these free trial clients, I would tell them, listen, at the end of our free trial, let's get on a phone call. Uh, let's get on a call because I just want to see how this trial went. What was the performance like and get your feedback. And what I did is I had kind of like a script prepared for that post free trial call, which I still have it on my laptop to this day. And when I would finish the free trial, I'd get them on that call. And I had a series of questions that I asked them that would eventually lead them to, okay, well, you know, do you want to keep doing this? And if yes, this is how much money it takes to keep working with me and get, and get these results. And so I would say there's kind of like a pro, a pro, a plus and a minus to this. What I noticed is that if someone gets something for free, it's a lot harder to then monetize them, mm -hmm. right? If, if someone is, is able to get something for free, like getting, get my Facebook ad services for free, it's a lot harder to then get them to pay me for that service because they're like, well, I just got it for free. Why do I not have to pay you for it? Right. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Or 
in their mind, even though they see the value, it doesn't compute. So I would say the conversion rate on free trials isn't so great. So I think that's something that you like everyone should kind of plan ahead for. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you should make sure that your what you leverage free trials for isn't to convert clients, but it's to build your brand by mm -hmm. getting video testimonials, by getting awesome client results and uh, just build you up your experience. But luckily, I was still able to get two or three of these free trials to convert into clients who then even referred me more clients. And I was able to grow that way. I see just two um, messages in the, uh, yeah, in the conversation box that might be a bit interesting. We have Abdul Shakur who says uh, converting from a free trial is, is always a challenge. And then he mentioned that he likes to offer a lower price at first. Right. I feel like that kind of uh, unblocks the kind of um, these limitations that people have in their mind where it stops them from being able to pay for a service once they got it for right. free. And that's kind of a really, really interesting approach. And then we have another question that says, how long did you do the free trial for? That's a good question. So um, let me go ahead and answer them, man. Uh, so the first one is, I think, yeah, if you can sell someone on a tier-based approach, that would probably be better than a free trial. But again, for someone like me who was starting off, um, I just needed to get some experience under my belt and get some results for clients so mm -hmm. that I could really build up my brand. So like it or not, I decided, all right, let me just work for free and do what I can because I'm not even making mm -hmm. money right now. So let me at least do something with my time that would help me move forward. And improve. Uh, and improve, exactly. And I'm also improving my skills and being able to like test it out on live customers to get better at what I do. But if you have the opportunity to do a tier-based approach, that would be way better because then you can, like I said, if someone gets it for free, they're not really going to pay for it. But let's say if you tell someone, hey, listen, I'll do Facebook ads for this price. But then after a month, you're doing great with Facebook ads. Um, you can tell them, hey, let's add let's add YouTube ads on that or let's add Google ads on that for an extra fee, right? Because we're already doing so great on Facebook, we can now do it on YouTube or Google. And it's even if you're coaching or consulting, you can do that, right? So if you're coaching someone on, um, let's say you're a fitness coach and you're coaching them on weight loss, they have a certain program with you for fitness. If you tell them, all right, well, you have the fitness program. By the way, we also have a nutrition program that we can kind of add onto this now if you're interested where we'll not only work on, you know, your, your, your physical activities, but we'll also now help you with everything that you eat and we'll kind of like track your calories together, et cetera, et cetera. And it'll be just this much more, right? So if you can kind of build that and build upsells, I think that's an amazing strategy because your best, I mean, your greatest fans are your customers, your paying clients, right? Like th these should be your biggest fans. These should be your raving fans. So if you have a way to sell them more products because they've already entered into a transaction with you, then that's a lot easier than trying to convert a new customer, someone that's never had a transaction with you, because then you have to build that trust. Mm -hmm. But if you already have someone where you have that trust already and you can upsell them more, that's way better. I know there's a, just a second question that we wanted to answer, which is the how long did you do the free trial for? Um, and guys, drop all your questions in the comments for any that we don't answer right away. We'll answer them in the Q&A at the end, inshallah. So guys, if you have any questions for me for Rami, drop them in the comments and we'll answer them in the Q&A. Um, so let me go ahead and answer that. How long did you do the free trial for? So here's my recommendation. A lot of people give too much in a free trial. Like, even though I am advocating for a free trial approach, if you have a service-based business and you're just starting off, never make the mistake of giving too much in your free trial. Okay. Because you don't want to give the farm away. So what I would do is I would, I, I could, I knew I could add like systems and follow up. Uh, like text messages to leads and all these amazing follow-up systems for the leads that I send them and 
I could, you know, give them a full um, kind of like software where they can view the performance, et cetera. But that took a long time to set up and a lot of money from my part. And I, and I knew that all I needed to do was just show them, hey, listen, I can get you results. I can get you a person to give you their name and email on Facebook to tell them to tell you how they're interested. So I would, number one, only offer the really the bare minimum of my service that I needed to help them get a result. Okay, which is just Facebook ads, nothing else, no follow-up, no text messages, calls, any of that fancy stuff. Chatbot. Yeah, that's it. Chatbot, all that stuff. And number two, I did it for two weeks. So you always want to have a certain time limit, right? You don't want to just be like, hey, let's do a free trial. I'll work for free until we decide not to work. Like there's this time limit. I think two weeks is a really nice sweet spot. I think one week is not enough, especially in the marketing world to get results or probably even in the coaching world. I think two weeks is a, is a good number for free trials to give someone an idea of how you work. I think more than two weeks, like giving a free trial for a month is just way too much. And now you're giving the farm away and there's no way that person's going to then pay you for your service if they had it for a month. Like it's not going to happen. So you were able to kind of, I'm assuming you, you were able to scale up that business at a certain point. Uh, you got, I mean, how many customers did you get at some point? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So I'm really happy to say, and I'm really grateful. I started with, just one or two customers um, about five months into this business. And slowly that built up and it kept building up and it kept building up until even these customers started referring others. And I got to a point where I had about 14, 15 customers and I was still servicing them on my own, like just as one person servicing all of these different customers and making over $20,000 a month. And you were rejecting some customers, I'm assuming. And I was still rejecting customers, exactly, because I had a certain workload and I couldn't take on more customers. So I'm like, okay, like, do I hire more people? What, what should I do in my business to like keep growing it? But with 14 customers and I was charging every single one, 1500 a month USD, I surpassed the $20,000 $20, a month mark. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, like you can get to six figures doing this. And I got to that mark within my first year in that business, in a service-based business. So that's when I really like realized, wow, the service-based business model can help you scale exponentially and very quickly. And that's when I just fell in love with a small business model. And I'm like, okay, how can I just keep doing this? And how can I multiply it? And how can I just maybe whether hire more or whether I create some sort of product that I can sell, how can I just keep growing this more than I ever have before? And then that coaching service sorry, or that uh, kind of social media advertising service then yeah. evolved, I'm assuming, into what you're currently working, which is Omapreneur, or was yeah. there a different steps between the way? That's a good question, man. And that's I, I love talking about this, uh, which is kind of like the transition from what I was doing in digital marketing to Omapreneur, which is what we're doing now. Uh, shout out to all my Omapreneurs that are still watching on this live. I love all of you. Drop in the comments that you're live. Let us know um, what your questions are, inshallah, for us in the Q&A. So, um, what happened at this point of my life was interesting. I got to, I mean, we all probably have this goal in our lives, right? Like we have this goal where we want to get to a certain income level um, in our business or, or we, we have a certain kind of like achievement that we want to reach. And we always think that when we get there, we're going to be like super happy, right? Like that's, that's the goal that I need to reach. And that's where I'm going to hit peak happiness. And for me, at first, it was hitting $1,000 a month, getting my first client. And then I got my first client, and I was really, really happy. I was like, oh, wow, $1,000, super excited. Then I was like, all right, next goal, $10,000 a month. Um, and I worked, and I worked hard, hustled, like nonstop. And I finally got to $10,000 a month. 
And I thought I would be super excited. I would be like the happiest person in the world. But I'll tell you that I wasn't as happy getting to 10K a month as I was getting my first client, my first 1K a month client, because that was like proof that I could do it. After that, I'm like, okay, next goal, 20K a month. And I set that as a goal. And finally, I did hit that goal. And then I set more goals and I hit these goals. And every time I would hit a goal, I would realize it didn't give me the fulfillment that I was looking for uh, to the level that I was looking for. So the more I progressed and the more I thought, wow, this is going to make me happy. This is what I need to get to that sweet spot. And life's just going to be great. Every time I hit it, I felt nothing. Like I started, I got to a point where I just felt completely nothing. Like I just, I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't even feel excited to wake up in the morning anymore. And I was making more money than I ever did ever before in my entire life or ever imagined that I'd be able to do. And I didn't feel happy waking up in the morning. I didn't feel like I was excited to get to my laptop and get to work. I didn't feel like I loved what I did. And so that prompted kind of like a whole self-discovery journey where I decided I wanted to figure out what was my true passion in life and what could I do where I could wake up every morning and feel super excited to do it? What could I do where even if I had to do it and I wouldn't make any money, I would still be happy doing it for years to come. And that's a whole journey that I had to take that led me where we are today, which is Umarpreneur, which is to help Muslims become entrepreneurs and start their own businesses or grow their businesses that they're already entrepreneurs and really promote entrepreneurship in the Muslim community. Number one, because I love my faith and I love Muslims. And I think we need more like exposure in a positive light, you know, versus all the negative light that's shown on us. And number two, because I love entrepreneurship. And so it's two worlds that I love that I could combine and bring together and I knew that bringing these two passions together was the key, the answer to doing something that could bring me fulfillment and that I could really enjoy doing every single day. And I think that's kind of one of the most important parts. I mean, we kind of discussed this on yeah. the way here by car, yeah. which is uh, the importance of fulfillment, right? Because I mean, there are thousands of ways where we can make money, yeah. but there's nothing more honorable than bringing something, creating value and value that is targeting a specific community yeah. especially our community yeah 100%. Uh, so i think i think it's extremely important uh to kind of notice that um it's more than money and 100%. it's more we actually have a mission that we're trying to uh that we're trying to reach yeah so i really commend you for this uh so you set up umapreneur uh i remember uh seeing you maybe like three months before it was ready to launch yeah and it was i was uh super interested about this project mainly because of the mission as you mentioned you created the course you put a lot of time into this and i think that i mean in the podcast that i was working on with you a couple yeah. of weeks ago we were talking about the difference between being um self-employed and being an entrepreneur right yes. i use the analogy yes. of bringing water to a village mm -hmm. versus building a, a pipeline I feel like by you basically built a real estate, right? Right. With that content, with that course, that someone is probably watching that course right now on your website without you needing to be there. Exactly. So uh, can you kind of develop a bit more about the approach between switching from being a self-employed person, offering a service, and that, yeah. service, depend, that service depends on you, and a really building, building a platform that is, you could call in sick tomorrow. Yeah and you won't really lose a day of work. 100%. And that's honestly an amazing question. And just want to give you a shout out. And shout out, guys, shout out to Rami because he's like, break. By the way, I just want to let all of you know, this is not scripted. 
Um, we didn't have these questions prepared. So I just want you all to give Rami a shout out and a thank you for being here, Rami, thank your you. man. And I'm thank sorry so for much. not being super enthusiastic. Yesterday I scratched my brother's car. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a story for another day, guys. We'll leave it for another day. Um, but again, also just thank you to everyone that's watching this live right now. I love all of you. Make sure to drop a hashtag live in the comments and drop your questions for our Q&A portion, which is coming up soon, inshallah. So let me answer your question, Rami. And it's a really amazing question, guys, that I wouldn't have thought of. And it's what's like, how do you transition? And when should you transition from the person that's providing the service? Like from, you know, me working as a digital marketer with these local businesses and running their Facebook ads to uh, actually creating maybe some sort of program or some sort of course or something that you could offer where you didn't need to actually be there physically, right? Like you could tell people, hey, this is the material that you need. And, and this is will give you the support. Now, of course, I, there's just one clarification that I do want to make, though. Um, I am still always there for my students. Of course. And, and, we, and we do have live calls every week. So every week we hop on a live call inside of our inner circle. Um, and we I have my own coaching kind of with these students privately. And so there's a live coaching aspect. And then there's, of course, the, the modules. But what's cool about that is I get to complement my live coaching with my students with material that I've recorded and prepared for them so that they can always do both. Like they don't have to rely on me 24 seven to be there and answer questions. They can go and have resources. And I think whether you're a coach or a consultant or a service provider, you should always have that type of resource. And even in my business uh, for digital marketing, I've created that resource now. So whenever I work with a client, I've created a support portal where they could log in and there's documentation on, okay, how to best follow up with your leads from Facebook. Mm. Um, how do you, like, what should you do if you're getting a lot of people that are not showing up to the office, right? The, you're scheduling people, but they're not showing up to the office. What should you do if you're having an issue with your marketing campaign? What should you do if you have this? If you want, if you need support, who should you reach out to? So I think whether you, you're still running a service-based business or you want to create a program or a course, you should always have material, like documentation, support materials, that are going to help, you know, guide your clients in the right direction. Now, when should you make that transition? I'll, I'll say this is that a lot of people create courses or create programs and help people achieve a goal that they haven't achieved. And I think that's a little bit disingenuous. It might be, uh, it might be controversial. Some people might, might not agree with me, but I think if you're trying to teach someone how to achieve a goal that you haven't achieved, how are you supposed to know how they should achieve that goal? Right. How are you supposed to teach them how to get to $10,000 a month if you've never gone to $10,000 a month? So I think a lot of courses are popping up. A lot of gurus are popping up. A lot of programs are popping up from people who just decide, hey, I want to go the easy route. Let me record a few videos and say I'm a business coach. And that unfortunately creates a whole industry that we're seeing right now of people who don't really know what they're doing or saying, uh, and they're trying to sell courses and programs. So I think once you achieve something that you know other people are trying to achieve, that's when you can start to switch more to that like mentorship type of business. Um, so let's say, for example, you are a great coach and you have reached the $10,000 mark and then the $20,000 mark and then you've increased even more. And you know other people are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to make six figures in their coaching business. You can help them do the same thing. Cool. You've already done it. You should definitely start helping others and and that doesn't mean you have to stop what you're doing now. So I still run my marketing agency, 
I still have my clients that I work with, but I'm also doing this, which is Umapreneur. It's my passion project. So you can always do both. You can have clients that you work with and you can have mentees, like little students, uh, not a little, but you know, you know what I mean? Like students that you work with um, and then you have people that are clients and, and you essentially kind of divide your time between both. You don't have to limit yourself. And if I could just add a bit on this, I yeah. think it's really important to put uh, realistic goals on ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've seen a couple of courses where people are promising six figures in like the first three months or whatever, yeah. and million dollar revenues. Yes. And I think that um, while it might be true for some people, um, yeah. I think that putting ourselves some of these goals could disappoint us more than anything else. 100%. So I think that I find it extremely, I think the, the 10K a month, I think it's something that is realistic. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, I think it's much more honorable for, for ourselves to kind of put small realistic goals and for slightly sure. but surely go up and scale up even more. 100%. Uh, rather than just shoot ourselves in the, in the head right now quick, quick, because <laughs> uh, you couldn't get to your first million. And, of course. Uh, of so, course. And that's the problem with this industry, man, is that they, a lot of people like make it, try to make it look easy and that's what they benefit from. But I really try to do my best where I don't have any certain like mm -hmm. any time claims like I'll never say in my programs or even in my advertising, like you'll make this amount in X number of days. I'll tell them, hey, you'll create a coach. You'll create a you'll create your service business in six weeks. If you actually follow the program week by week, you'll have your business and you'll hopefully be profitable. You'll have a client or two, but you'll definitely won't make six figures in your first mm -hmm. six weeks unless I mean, you can. But you have to be a serious action taker. But, but there's right? also there's there are conditions around this. Right. So, for example, there's the market conditions that we can't really control over. The pandemic taught us this. Yeah. Right, um, yeah. among other stuff. For sure. Um, so now that you have the Umapreneur platform going on, yeah, um, it's growing. You're benefiting a lot of people. Um, this is, I think, more of a question because I mean, just before the podcast started, yeah. well, we were talking about. I was, I was mentioning that I'm opening the possibility of selling my business, and mm -hmm. I think this question is always there in front of us. It's where do we stop, or how do we, when do we pivot? Um, when do we know that we're ready for the next level that's or the, for the next project? Yeah, man. That's a really good question, bro. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, it really depends on how, like, it, it, there's no universal answer. Like, that's that's the first thing I want to say is that there is no universal answer to that question. It's such a deep question that is going to have different answers to different people. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you that you'll probably know when it's time. And I know that might not be the answer that you guys are looking for. But you'll know inside, like, this is probably, I should be doing something else right now, or I should be getting to that next level. And, and really, the, there's something that I want to touch upon is that all of us as entrepreneurs, as human beings, we have an intuition. Okay, we have an, that inner voice that speaks to us. And um, for some of us, it might be drowned out because we're constantly drowning ourselves in social media and entertainment. And so like, we can't even like, listen to our own thoughts for 20 minutes. Um, but hopefully if you have a clear mind, you should be connected to your intuition and you'll, you'll usually feel it. Like when I got to a point in, in, in my agency where I, um, like wasn't wanted to switch and wanted to pivot, I woke up feeling uncomfortable. Like I literally woke up and I felt like I was a little bit anxious. Like I wasn't really excited to get to work. Like I, this is not really my true calling. This is not where I feel like I'm in my zone. I'm in my element. And I truly believe that. Every single person out there, if you're not doing, you know, you're, you're, God, you're not following your God-given gift or you're not, you know, following your true calling, you're going to feel it inside and you're going to know when it doesn't feel right. And I know it might not be the answer you're looking for, but 
it's hard to give a universal answer. But, I mean, like, <laughs> Go I, for it. I think like if we look deeper, right, when you're mm -hmm. talking about your gut feeling, what you're actually talking about is previous experiences that shape the person that you are today yeah. who's able to take these kinds of decisions, right? Yeah. So, I mean, when you're when we're talking about developing your gut feeling, it might mean that if there's an opportunity that is so too good to be true, right, and someone offers to buy your business and you find another business that you find that you could buy at a, at a discounted rate, yeah. your gut feeling will kick in. And I think that's kind of... Um, Maybe where I'm at, at my, at my, I'm in currently, right? Yes. So I think that uh, we should always keep the door open for these kinds of, hundred percent to transition or pivot or whatever. I mean, there's always new adventures open up in front of us. For sure. I just want to touch upon a quick thing though, because I know, again, I'm also at the same time. Like I know, I even in the title of this video, I said serial entrepreneur, but I also want to touch upon one thing though, and it's really something important, and it's at the same time like. If you're trying to do everything or if you're trying to focus on a lot of things at once, chances are you're probably going to be good at nothing. Okay, so we have a certain limited amount of energy, a limited amount of focus, a little amount of a limited amount of time in our days. And if you're trying to build seven projects at the same time, well, chances are you're going to be doing very mediocre at these seven projects is instead of doing extremely amazing at one project. Right. So. I do also want to just really highlight guys that I am not advocating for you guys to, to like uh, business hop or create a new business every week, because again, now you're wasting your time. You're, um, you're, you're constantly starting new things and you're not really focusing. So there is a balance between knowing when to pivot and also focus. Like I know for now that Omarpreneur, inshallah, with everything that we're doing here, this is something that I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And this is something that I would feel completely happy doing when I'm 40, when I'm 50. Um, so I know this is something worth worth starting. But like, don't start a business where you know, like, I'm probably going to want to trash it in a, in a month or a year, unless you know, okay, there's a clear exit plan. I want to, uh, I know how to build this and I want to sell it. But again, your focus is limited. Your time is limited. I say anything more than two projects at the same time, and you're spreading yourself way too thin. And you need, unless you have employees, you have a team, you have help, then you need to be focusing on one or two at the most. Um, I thank you for this uh, for uh, for this intervention, uh, or sorry for this uh, for this answer. I <laughs> I saw a question early up uh, earlier in the in the conversation by Abdul Shakur about. Let's, let's go ahead and, and scroll up and see if we can find it. My man Abdul was, Shakur. Uh, he was a previous yeah. guest on this podcast, and I'm definitely going to bring him back for you guys. What advice would you give to those who don't have access to cash? And we were talking about this because uh, when you sold your business, your first one, um, you were able to have a bit of um, a bit of a safety net, right, to kickstart and launch your next uh, yeah. your next venture. Yeah. So if you are uh, someone who wasn't able to have that safety net, um, what would you recommend them to do since they don't necessarily have access to that? Um, yeah, exactly. hundred percent. So that's a really good question, guys. I would say this, don't quit your job until you have a supplemental source of income that you could at least support you. So I was lucky enough to be able to quit my job and quit school in a position where I had built my business while I was working part-time and my initial business that we spoke of earlier in the podcast, the cell guide, which is the online website, I built in my free time and I didn't have lots of free time guys because I went to school during the day and then I went to work at night up until 9 p.m., sometimes 10, 11 p.m. But I would either wake up really early in the morning or stay up late at night to work on my business because I was passionate about it. I was excited about it and I knew this is what I wanted to do. So I spent my free time and all the time that I could building my business 
to get it to a point where I was actually making money before I started uh, pretty much cutting my lifelines, like quitting my job, quitting school and going all in. So my biggest advice for those who don't have access to cash, guys, you don't need lots of capital. You don't need, uh, you know, a huge amount of savings. If you're just starting off, I would say this definitely try to maintain your, your level of income, try to maintain your job and anything that you're doing. And if you're truly serious about building a business of entrepreneurship, you will find the time to build it around the clock, no matter how much, how busy you are with your job or with, with school. However, if you're telling yourself, I don't have money to quit my job or my, you know, or whatever I'm doing now. And so I don't have time to work on my business. Chances are, if you quit your job or whatever you're doing now, instead of your excuse being, I don't have the time, it's going to be a different excuse. It's going to be, oh, I'm not feeling it today, or I'm not motivated, or there's this, or maybe the moon is uh, in, in the Aquarius position mm. instead of the cancer position. <laughs> what God knows, right? Um, we have this joke, me and my friend Yusuf was watching this right now. Um, we really, we go to the gym and we really hate doing leg day um, because it's our least favorite day. So when we go to the show, because it, <laughs> it doesn't show, your legs don't show. When we hated doing leg day, so... Every time uh, it was leg day, we'd find an excuse. We'd say, oh, the sun is not in the right position today. Um, or, you know, the moon is looking like it's looking like it's a half moon. It's bad luck if we do legs today. Uh, and so we do our best to avoid it as much as possible. So that's just a little bit uh, of, of a joke. But really, the, the lesson here is the same, which is if you don't want to do it, you're going to find an excuse. No matter how stupid of an excuse, you're going to find an excuse and you're going to accept that excuse. So if you don't have cash right now, I, I still think... If you're serious about building a business, about doing what you want to do, you will make the time and you will find time to do it. However, if that's if you're telling yourself, I don't have time right now, well, then chances are you're probably not going to have mm -hmm. time later. You're going to have a different excuse. So um, I don't think cash is I don't think cash is a requirement. I don't think it is at all. Anyone can start a business, even if they're working with just a few hours a day, especially with the tools we have today, man. We have social media, Facebook, Shopify. I mean, tool these tools create the, everything you need. Like you go on Shopify, you start a free trial, you pick a theme, you have an online store, you upload and a product. Shopify has a free trial for three months now. For three months, guys, to have a free a free trial, we have no affiliate link. I wish I did though, uh, but I don't. So <laughs> go on Shopify and get your free three-month trial. You can go and get an online store in two seconds. You want to build an online service-based business? Go ahead and update your Facebook profile, reach out to people, send emails, go on LinkedIn. I mean, you don't need much these days, guys. Like 50 years ago, you want to start a business? Yeah, good luck. Go ahead and rent, rent. out a rent out a retail space, order build products, inventory. build inventory, store store everything that you want. Advertise on the radio. Advertise on radio, on TV. Impossible. Now you now you want to start a business. It's as easy as setting up a website and going and reaching out to your clients and offering your services. So no excuses, guys. Go ahead and get it done. On a side note, <laughs> on a side note, um, I also this. I mean, it's does doesn't really have anything to do with the safety net because it's not money that actually belongs to you. But I would also recommend looking at uh, government uh, subsidies and grants and bursaries yes. and loans. And Rami is great for, with that, by the yes. way. Yes, and I mean, I know a lot of you guys are from uh, the UK. I know the UK probably has these kinds of loans. Uh, we have them in Canada. So these are usually there to uh, support small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, you could always look into them. A lot of them have interest-free um, and are forgivable loans and case something yeah. bad happens but uh, i would also recommend looking into this for sure uh, we have one more question here we'll go ahead and answer that uh, and guys if you have any questions uh we're gonna actually like are we good to dive into q a yeah, yeah Q &A. all right let's do some q a guys so if you guys have questions drop them in the comments 
If you're listening to this on Spotify or watching it on YouTube as a recording, uh, we'll drop a link to the Facebook group in the comments or we're somewhere in the description so that you could join the group because live Q&A only happens inside of this Omapreneur group. So you guys take advantage of it, ask us all of your questions and um, go ahead and find out what you, what you want to find out. Let's dive into this one here. There was one that I just missed one sec. There you go. All right, at this point in your life, what else would you want to do differently to be able to help those who are wanting to rise in this industry? So that's a good question. Um, I don't think I would be doing anything else differently because I am doing what I want to do, uh, which is Omarpreneur. Now, of course, this question, if I were to really flesh it out, I would have to reveal my future plans. Like, what do I even, what is my vision for Omarpreneur? What kind of brand is this? And where am I trying to take it? And I guess I'll share some of that with you guys today. So obviously what I'm doing now is not the ultimate goal of Omapreneur. I don't want Omapreneur to be just a brand where we have an online course or we have a program. Now that's awesome to start uh, because I think it's something that I can offer directly. So um, for any of you who are thinking of starting a service-based business, that's what our program offers. I encourage you to reach out, go on our website or message me personally on Facebook to learn more about it. But that's not the ultimate goal for me. Uh, the ultimate goal, as I said, it's to really nurture entrepreneurship in the Muslim community, and it's at a global scale, guys. So what I would want to do differently, a few things. Number one, I would want to create uh, co-working spaces for Muslim entrepreneurs. So instead of having just WeWork, I know, I think that's a familiar one. There's another company called Spaces, and there's a few where you could kind of, if you're an entrepreneur, you can go and rent a desk, right? Because some of us have families, uh, we have small apartments, and we aren't able to work from home. So there's this concept called WeWork where you can go and rent a desk and that's like your office, but you don't have to pay office rental fees. Now, obviously, I would love if there was something like that available for Muslims where there was not only desks, but there were uh, there was a prayer room and there's maybe a little classroom where we could give classes. And so that's one of the visions that I have. I won't dive too much in detail. <coughs> I apologize. And then the other vision that I have is inshallah to also have of course events so in different countries whether it's in the uk in canada and in, in in the states to have local events where we could actually meet up physically we can have different muslim speakers and we could be able to uh, network with other entrepreneurs so that's just one two of the things that uh, inshallah are on the list they're on the vision board uh, but that's all i will reveal to you guys today because i don't want to put all uh, of my cards out there of course um, but definitely stay tuned, guys, because this is just the start. And if you appreciate what we do, like, honestly, just subscribing to the channel or liking the videos, showing up on these lives, um, you know, supporting what we're doing here at Omapreneur, like, this is what will help us grow, inshallah, and benefit the Muslim Ummah, guys. And it, hopefully, it really comes from a sincere um, heart. And, um, you know, even Rami here was generous to give his time for free. Like, we're not getting paid to do this but we just want to do it to benefit you, inshallah. So make sure to support us and subscribe uh, if you haven't. Let's see if there's more questions. Uh, let's see. All right, let's, this, is, this is a big one, but we'll read it. Um, do you want to read it, Rami? If you had to choose a single advice to give to someone wanting to start their entrepreneurship journey mm -hmm. and create their own business, but they're hesitating because of certain fears or risks of failures, 
what would it be? What would you recommend for them to be able to overcome these fears and go for it? Oh, that's a good question. It's really good. Uh, Rami, what would you answer to that? I'll, I'll give my answer in a bit. Let, let's have Rami answer this one. for them to be able to overcome these fears and go for it? I think that, well, fear is part of the, I mean, I think we need to, first of all, enjoy the fear of getting into business. Um, this is kind of the drive and we need to turn this into drive and motivation. And there are also ways to, I mean, one of the biggest things that we were scared of is risk. And thankfully, there are ways to hedge your risk. You could hedge your risk with research. You could hedge your risk with a, a minimal viable product, so an MVP. So instead of just developing, putting $100,000 into your product, developing the product and making sure that it's perfect before you're starting to sell, let's try to see if you could build that product for $5, $10 before, even if it's not as good as you want it to be just that you can know that people that you have what it takes to move that product, right? Because, um, I mean, I was, I developed some form of passion for selling hot sauce, but maybe I'm not in a good position to sell well-designed socks. Uh, cause I always wear the same ones every day. Oh, whoops. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, so there are, so I think it's always important to maybe, uh, hedge your risk, maybe, Base yourself with strong data, data and to build a minimal viable product before going all in. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, I mean, and also just enjoying the fear of launching a business is maybe some of the, the most enjoyable. It's part of the excitement and, yeah. and, and enjoyable moments of starting a business. 100%. Um, and I guess what I would just like to piggyback off of Rami's answer I think a big part of, of overcoming uh, maybe that initial fear uh, when it comes to failure is to actually do the thing, but maybe do it, as you mentioned, on a, on a smaller scale, base yourself on data, but also do it for free, right? Like, like approach it from a non-risk standpoint. Just like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, like I started off and I also wasn't super confident that I could really serve like my clients and actually get them results. And so I'm like, hey, listen, I'll work for free. Um, if you let me and I'll, I'll advertise your business for you and, and these people let me do it for free. And so I was able to kind of practice because when you're offering it for free, no one's going to judge you or be harsh on you if you don't really not knock it out of the park the first time. So I think a really key, um, aspect of, of also building up that confidence, that initial confidence and, and that initial, um, uh, kind of sense of, of feeling like, you know, you can do this and, and believing in yourself is to just offer your service for free until you feel confident in the results that you can provide to your customers in the service that you can provide in what you do, inshallah. So that's a big one too. And uh, just on a tiny little side note, um, I remember watching uh, a YouTuber like maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm bad with time. <laughs> uh, anywhere between the past 10 and 15 years, um, there was a YouTuber called uh, Jia who uh, had a channel called 100 Days of Rejection mm -hmm. or uh, or 300 day, 365 Days of Rejection. I forgot what it was called. Okay. Where every day he would just try to do something crazy and get rejected. Amazing. And so he's building that muscle. Of course. Because rejection is a muscle, honestly. It's a muscle. It's, uh, I mean, look, if you fail 300 times, you probably won't be scared of failing 310 times. 100%. Know? So I think that uh, failure is, I mean, also, I, I think I said this in our last, last podcast because I was watching a little documentary on Thomas Edison or I forgot who it was. And it was about uh, finding 1,000 ways that don't work. And I think that uh, finding 1,000 ways that don't work is valuable. 100%. And a of lot course. of uh, pharmaceutical companies that get acquired get acquired because they have data that don't work.
Yeah, it's true. true. Uh, and and just to kind of, because I think that's really key. And you bring up something which is when I was first starting, and I, and I know this is just shout out to all my coaches, all my consultants, all my service-based business owners out there. I know how much rejection you face every single day. I know how hard it is to put yourself out there. I know how hard it is to constantly show up every single day and put yourself in a vulnerable position. And I just want to give you guys a shout out because I've been there and I'm still there to this day, guys. Um, even when it comes to putting ourselves out just like on this podcast or when it comes to posting in this group or even when it used to be in my business, reaching out to local business owners to sell them my services, I had to face rejection constantly. And so the more I did it, the less you know, the less fe- the, the less fearful it became, the less it kind of lost its importance. Right. Like when I first had to send these few emails or make these first few posts on Facebook, it was the hardest thing. I was like, what are people going to think about me? Are people going to judge me? You know, should I talk about my business on my Facebook? Should I send this person an email? And it was like the biggest thing in my mind. Right. But then you put it out there and you realize no one cares. No one really cares. People just want to support you. People are generally kind and they're generally happy to support you with whatever it is you're doing. And also, um, I mean, as much as we don't like being rejected, we reject people every day as well. Of course. And we don't think about this. It doesn't really stick with us or whatever. And I think in that same way, the people that reject us, they move on and we should either improve ourselves and make sure that we turn these future failures into successes. Of course, 100%. And and it's a muscle, guys. And I just want to give you guys a shout out for doing it every single day uh, and really you are champions for putting yourself out there in a vulnerable position because there is a million and one people out there who have thought about starting a business, who have thought about doing something that you are probably doing right now, but they didn't do it out of fear. And um, there is, I forgot if it was a book title or something by Ryan Holiday. No, no, he's the obstacle is, I think, yeah, there's a book by Ryan Holiday. And I think, I believe it's called Fear is the Enemy. I'm not sure. I haven't actually read it, guys, but just the title itself is super catchy because fear truly is the enemy. And so if you feel like you're fearful to do something or like you're in a place of fear, that usually means you're not going to make calculated and sound decisions. So you want to take a step back and you want to assess really what's the worst that can happen. And that was a question that I always used to ask myself. And I think it's a really effective technique to break down these imaginary fears that we have, which is what's the worst thing that can happen if I go on Facebook live right now and you know, I put myself out there. Well, probably the worst thing that can happen is that uh, no one watches what I'm doing. Is that really such a big deal? You know, is that really so scary? Not that much. What's the worst that can happen if you call that local business owner or that client to try to make that sale? That they say, no, I'm not interested. Okay, cool. Did anything change in your life? Are you hurt physically? Are you hurt mentally? Not at all, guys. So break it down. What's the worst thing that can happen if you take that step, if you do that thing? And when you really flesh it out, you'll realize that it's not so bad, right? Like we tend to build it up in our minds and have this monster and under the bed kind of thing, but it's not so bad. Um, Riz says, Brene Brown has amazing books too on vulnerability, criticism, rejection, shame. Yeah, so that's a great author as well uh, that I recommend 100%. So guys, let's do um, one more question, inshallah. So if you guys have one more question for us, drop it in the comments. This is going to be the last question that we take. And usually I like to end with 
you know, the three questions that put my guest on the spot, but I guess I got to ask them to myself right now. Of course, so, I forgot what it was. hundred <laughs> percent. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you this, Rami. Um, you want to write them down? You know what? Let's do this instead. How about you? Ask, we'll, we'll take one last question from the audience and we'll do one last question from you. So guys, whoever drops a question first right now, we uh, will answer it, but that will be the last one. So make sure that you drop a question, any question when it, when it comes to even Rami or myself, in regards to my business experience, uh, my past, or even just lessons that I've learned, what are my future plans? While we wait, Rami, what's one question that you've been wanting to ask me that maybe you haven't asked me before? Whether it's my business or even advice for your business, uh, throw it out there. Let's let's do this live. I think my biggest advice, oh, sorry, not advice. My biggest question was, yeah. um, how do you overcome imposter syndrome mm -hmm. in your field of advertising mm. right when you first started for example i mean of course you did the free trial but you still have to i mean you need to reassure whoever you're working with that you're an expert right and as much as we can we we want to learn and everything and we, we yeah. try to uh to uh to just keep uh, i mean as much as we want to act like we are the most knowledgeable in this field there are people that know better than us yeah how did you overcome the imposter syndrome that's a really good question man and uh, part of it part of the answer is is something which is uh that, that was mentioned before which is the free trial i know you touched upon it as well because i think one of the keys for sure is proving first and foremost to yourself that you can do it, right? Proving first and foremost to yourself. So I think that was the first thing for me in overcoming that, you know, initial imposter syndrome or that, you know, maybe I don't deserve to charge a client $1,000 or $1,500 or $2,000 because I, you know, what if they don't get the results that I'm trying to help them get? What, what, what happens then? Mm -hmm. So the first thing is working with as many people as possible, even if it's for free, just to build that confidence for yourself. for yourself that you can do it that you can really help these people in a positive way i would say the second thing is reach out to your clients reach out to your customers and ask them what they think about their interactions with you what do they think about the service that they got from you and most of the time when we're feeling that imposter syndrome or that you know like i i can't do it i can't help these people get results when you reach out to your clients, when you reach out to your customers, most of the time they'll tell you, hey, I had an amazing experience. I, you changed this for me. You changed my life in that way. You helped me achieve this in my business or you, achieved, you helped me achieve this goal. And I'm really grateful for that. So I think a big one is, you know, because we all feel that to this day. And I think I still feel it. Like I don't, I didn't overcome it completely. I think mm -hmm. we all feel it. I don't know if you feel it mm -hmm. in your business. Do you feel it sometimes? The imposter syndrome? Uh, definitely. Um, mainly because... Sometimes you wonder if your product is necessarily the best one out there, right? You know, and right. I think that um, one thing that I that I use to one thing that I like to believe is that there's not a single perfect product out there, yeah. And that what we need to look at is is our product the perfect one for the kind of customers that are buying from us, yeah. Right. So I think that maybe removing that claim that we have the best hot sauce for every single for every single individual, <laughs> and maybe specific on a specific niche, and maybe fight to be the best in that specific one. And I think that's a much more realistic. Um, right. But then how do you balance that? Because, because see, I would agree with that. But then how do you balance that and, and I, with 
Because I still think people should still be a little bit hypey about themselves because, mm -hmm. I mean, we're our own worst critics mm -hmm. and everyone around me can attest to the fact that, like, I berate myself constantly. Um, so I'm my own worst critic. Like, I don't need haters because I am my own biggest hater, guys. I just want you all to know right now that there is no hater out there that can hate me as much as I sometimes am a hater to myself when it comes to just being really harsh on myself in terms of, you know, make, making sure I do the best work, making sure I deliver the best product, making sure I'm really trying to do something that's going to make an impact. So I definitely think that we're our own worst, worst critics. So as much as I want to like balance the imposter syndrome, which as you mentioned, mm -hmm. I believe is good. I, I still don't think you should still retreat from that and mm -hmm. be like, oh, but maybe I shouldn't advertise that we do the best hot sauce mm -hmm. because there should be a part of you that kind of hype, hypes mm -hmm. yourself up. Because if you don't, then who's going to hype you up? You know, like if you don't say that I have the number one podcast for Muslim entrepreneurs, shout out Omapreneur Life podcast, guys. Make sure to subscribe. If you don't say that, then who's going to say that, right? You have to first say it so that other people could say it too. So I think there's a balance between that. What do you think about of that? Of course, of course. So I think that, um, I think that, but there's also a fine line between, um, because then there's also that tunnel vision that kicks in, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, again, as you mentioned, there's like a small balance that we need to look for because then there's that tunnel vision and, and, uh, nationalistic pride that kicks in where well maybe not nationalistic that that pride yeah. where um we are we block off uh some realistic cues that should put yeah. us back on the right track so yeah. i think that obviously as you mentioned earlier there's not a one a cookie cutter answer for all these questions yeah and i think that it always depends on who the kind of person that we all are so sure. I, I think like i mean like uh, i used to be the kind of person that is driven by uh, wanting to be number one and i still want to be number one um uh, so but i think the person that i am today is how about i try to stay humble as well and sit mm. down and do the actual work and take right. the you know like know that there's a lot of space left to improve right so that you aim to be number one but also deep anyways i don't know i, I don't know i, I agree like there's I, uh, I would say yes i would say yes to that but i see that's one thing that you're saying that because you feel like you're in that position, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it depends on, on what kind of person are. you are yeah. as well. Like if you're someone that you know you're constantly like um, uh, how do you, like raising yourself mm -hmm. up or um, like patting yourself on the back kind of thing, then maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. you need a little dose of humility, you know? But if you're someone like me who, again, I'm like my own harshest critic, I kind of need to maybe pat myself on the back a little bit more if that makes sense. So I think it's, I, you bring up a good point, which is I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of balance. Mm -hmm. It's really finding that balance, that sweet spot in the middle where, yes, you're not like hyping yourself up to the point where you're just, you know, like now you're just saying things that aren't true. But at the same time, you're also not too harsh on yourself where you're like, I don't deserve to like work with my clients. I don't deserve to like charge high prices and all that. But I think there's a delicate balance. We, we got, by the way, like 10 Five, questions six, in there. Eight. Um, so we're going to try to, do you want to answer as many as possible? You want to do this? Okay. Well, there's one of them that I, uh, I'm right. quite interested in knowing, which is what is, what's one thing that nobody knows about you in the community? Ooh, that's a good question. Juicy. My man, Abdul Shakur, you've seen him live on episode number one, I believe the first episode. So shout out to him for I want a juicy doing gossip one. answer. <laughs> juicy <laughs> gossip answer. Rami says one thing that nobody knows about you, man, that's a hard, I want to give you guys a really, really good one guys, like not a boring one. Um, so what's one thing that nobody, oh, okay. Um, one thing that nobody knows about me is that I actually love to, I don't know if that's as juicy, like, I don't 
I don't know if I have a juicy one. Say but, it and I'll judge. Okay, so uh, I love to longboard. I really oh. love to skate. So I, I we live. Yeah, I wish I could. I would turn the camera, guys. But I know that if I do that, it's going to completely ruin the slide. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do something that we've never that has never been done on a podcast before. I'm gonna show you my skateboard. One like I'm gonna bring it. All right. This is an automated uh, skateboard. So this is not an automated skateboard, guys. But this. Oh, I live by the water. You can see this is my board. It's my baby. Um, and I use this. I, I ride this thing, which is four wheels, and I love it. It's called a longboard. And uh, I ride this thing. I, we live in a place where it's near the water. And I get to ride this thing in the mornings. And it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and it's something that I really enjoy. And I used to be a skater kid in high school. Uh, and I used to skateboard a lot. So uh, this is just me kind of uh, toning it down as an adult, I bought a longboard, which has less tricks and ollies and 360s and more just kind of like smoothly riding along. And I think that's pretty fun. What, is that juicy enough? Can we accept it? I think it? it's juicy. Like this from you? Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, it's out of the box. All right, let's go ahead and do one more. Um, how about filling after reaching uh, the peak? Uh, oh, there you go. There's this button. After filling, after reaching the peak of the career, um, that's an interesting one. I want to know your thoughts on that, Ernie. But what I think is, I think that as long as you're alive, you've never reached your peak. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Well, of course. Um, because like, if you think you've reached your peak and you're still alive, that means you're just giving up on yourself mm -hmm. and you didn't go as far as you could go. What do you think? All right. Some people, some people might disagree with that. What are your thoughts on it? I think. Um... I think that there's always going to be some setbacks, yeah. uh, but there's also higher highs that you could reach. So um, I think we need to define what's the peak, yeah. right? And also, um, you know, there's, there's the, the market's always evolving. We're always evolving. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you, like for me, it's this, like, again, and I kind of, we touched upon it briefly in a different, in a previous podcast episode, but life operates, like the way I see life is I look at life in cycles, right? cycles it, it, it's constant cycles of, of of recreating yourself and getting to that next thing because your goal right now might be to reach ten thousand dollars in your business but then when you reach that goal you're not at your peak you have something else that you probably want to reach and if you don't set yourself a new goal well then then you just stagnate and you start to actually diminish in performance so i think failure is going to always be part of your life because you should constantly be trying to reach new peaks and you should always be aiming to reach new heights and so by always trying to do something else and go further and, and go and go and go bigger, you are going to naturally fail because you're always pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think that should never end up until the moment where you are on your deathbed. I think that should never end. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Definitely. But I'm also quite curious to know what are the three last questions that we have for you? What are the three last questions? You mean the ones that we have here in the comments or, or the, the ones that I was supposed to ask? The, the challenge ones, the challenge ones. All right, let's, let's the quick fire question. The quick fire. So usually I'll ask people three questions. The one is, um, what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome in your business? Um, the second is usually if you could meet you uh, as in uh, like you from like X years ago when you were just starting off as an entrepreneur, and you could tell them one thing, what would that one thing be? And I think the third thing was maybe tell us something about yourself that no one knows or something long. Actually, actually, I can't remember. Well, the longboard one was kind of that. Yeah, the longboard was kind of that. So, I mean, do you want to do one of those? Uh, we also have some audience Q&A, by okay. the way, that we'll, that we'll go into. <laughs> 
All right, but I'm going to answer them. So just to let you guys know, what was the biggest challenge I had to overcome? It was definitely the five months where I wasn't making any money in my business. Uh, as I told you uh, earlier in this podcast, when I was starting up my service-based business, my digital marketing agency, uh, the first five months, I made $0. That was the hardest time in my life, the biggest challenge. And my biggest challenge was a mindset challenge to actually stay positive and keep going despite not making any money and losing money for the first five months of trying to start a business, um, which is a service-based digital marketing agency. So uh, definitely biggest challenge. How did I overcome it? I just kept going. And as we talked about, did the free trials, kept my head in the game, and I moved forward. But it was definitely a, a mindset struggle. And then if I could meet myself from, let's say, four or five years ago before he started, the kid that didn't quit school yet, what would I tell him? What would you tell him, Rami? Um, if you can, if you can meet Abby from four years ago, he was just starting as an entrepreneur. You could tell him one thing. What would that one thing be? Let's switch it up. What would you tell him? I would. Well, I mean, I could talk about uh, what I find admiring from you yeah. on your end, um, and it's definitely the work discipline. Um, I mean, one of the issues that I have on my own is that I yeah. uh, I uh, like to talk a lot uh, to friends <laughs> and everything. And uh, Custom Heats, the project, the hot sauce thing, was the first time I worked on something without letting anyone know for two years Yeah, kind of thing. Wow. Like when, when I was on Dragon's End was the first time most of my friends heard about Custom Heats. Yeah. Um, and I think that like you're always working on something and like you usually tell me like the day before. Mm -hmm. you know it gets published it's true you know like not not many things could go wrong the day before <laughs> uh, so i think that's really really inspiring and i think that's uh, i mean it says a lot more about your work ethics so i think uh, your work ethics is definitely i mean like i uh i think that you were in the right position to um pa college dropout serial entrepreneur mainly because of your work ethics and whether your first three businesses worked or didn't that doesn't really matter because the you're supported by very good foundations and pillars yeah 100 we're gonna do two, we're gonna do two last ones and we're gonna stop there and by the way rami i appreciate the kind words just want to say because like me and rami we're good friends i've known rami for a while and for him again to just like sit here and, and share this with you guys and say these kind words about me guys because i'm again he he might think i'm amazing but again <laughs> I, I i'm my own harshest critic right so as we all know uh, but we all try to do our best that's the thing is that you should never feel like you're awesome or you're you've made it like you should always struggle to improve yourself to improve your business and to get better faster stronger as the um saying goes we're gonna do the two last ones um this one we answered already but i just want to maybe answer this because maybe they missed it which is when i offered uh the free service in my business i found people that have uh that weren't as invested as um when they have to pay so how do you suggest we overcome this like I mentioned before, that's going to be a like a, a certain issue when it comes to offering free trials. So you won't only want to offer free trials when you're first starting off in your business. Like when you're just trying to build up that initial traction, you're trying to get those first few video testimonials. Past that, you should eliminate free trials from your um, offers and you should go straight for paid. Uh, so that's how you overcome that. And what do you think about that, Rami? Well, definitely. And, and we're noticing that bigger companies are also doing this as well, right? Like Spotify, I know in North America, they're not giving you the platform for free. They're giving it to you. They're, they're charging you at least a dollar a month. Yeah. Right? That's for their, their trial. Uh, mainly because, I mean, you're 
it's really hard to get access to your customer's credit card information after the ball is rolling. Yes. And I think that getting access to that credit card is part. I mean, if they're not willing to give you their credit card to 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 build to get built in the future, then uh, you chances are chances they are they might not might want to build get build at all. That's right. So, um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna do one last. Um, Abdul Shakur says you should answer my question on three three truths. So. Uh, Abdul Shakur has this thing on his podcast, uh, which I was on, by the way, and I want to give a, sh a shout out to his podcast. It's called, um, uh, I believe it was called, what was it called? It was something like power, appreciate power, appreciate power. Sorry, I just blanked out there because we've been talking for the last two hours. Um, so his podcast is appreciate power, uh, and it's on anchor.fm. So, uh, look that up guys. Um, and it's an awesome podcast as well, where he interviews, um, amazing entrepreneurs. So. He has a thing on his podcast, which is we answer a question, which is three truths. What are three truths that you have? And I think we'll do it together. So I'll do my three truths and you'll do your three truths. And these are usually kind of like maybe sayings. They're usually one sentence mantras uh, that you have that keep you going. Right. Okay. So so if you want, I'll, I'll, get, I'll answer okay. and maybe that'll give you some inspiration. Um let's let's think and i, I maybe not get i maybe might not give you this as, as fast as you want to but uh one is definitely just do the work mm. i think that would be one of my three truths as in like a lot of people get caught up in you know their thoughts and their emotions and um overthinking things i think a huge one is just do the work uh number two i think would be always be kind in every situation yeah. i think kindness is key uh, on my end, I came up with one. Go for it. Maybe, maybe I'll, two more. Go for it, time. and then I'll finish mine. Yeah, go for it, because um, I don't want you to lose it. Never be complacent. Amazing. Uh, that's because we notice that, because I mean, just our the econo economy is evolving, uh, constantly evolving at faster rates than it ever was, and I think that by being complacent just for one year alone, you could be three years behind the competition. Yeah. So I think, and the other one, which goes with never be complacent is uh, take risks in terms of innovation. Mm. So I think that uh, the market leaders usually, I mean, first of all, the products that we have in our society are not necessarily the best ones out there. It's the ones that people took the risk of putting out there and no one decided to compete them on this for some reason. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, like you could, by taking risks and putting our innovations out there, we could decide what the new normal is going to be, right? So and that's how like new technologies get created. Course. That's how like new. That's that's like just think about this, right? Uh, super low cost airlines are something that are quite new um, that with from the past 20, 30 years, and I think that like this is probably one person who decided this might be crazy, but what if I make a flight from Montreal to Germany for $300, right? And that stops in Iceland. And I mean, like that was quite revolutionary and that became the new normal. Mm -hmm. I mean, and now that company unfortunately had some uh, management issues, uh, but you see uh, companies like Southwest, WestJet, Ryanair, that are all super ultra low cost airlines. And yeah. that took a massive risk and they've changed the game of the, the, the flying industry for kind of ever. Although this might be a bit shaky now with the whole with the new <laughs> with the new pandemic, uh, and then a third one. Uh, the third truth. The third truth for me. Um, so, what are your three truths to life that you want to leave with the world as a Muslim entrepreneur? Um, I think my third one. So, I said number one is just do the work. We said number two was um, be always kind. be kind, and I think that's a huge one. I think we need more kindness in the world. 
And I think I'll finish off with number three, which is make an impact. Mm -hmm. As in whatever it is, it is you do, try not to have your work just affect you alone, right? Like don't be selfish with whatever business you're trying to create or whatever um, goal you want to achieve in your life. You know, instead of being like, I want to create an online store and I want to make money for myself. Like, why don't, why don't you instead create something that involves a community and that involves a group and that can impact others in a positive way um, instead of just for yourself, right? And I think that goes on to what we were speaking in the car earlier today, mm -hmm. which was uh, we don't necessarily need to compromise on our values if, they're, if our values are rooted in something right, like social justice or whatever, right? Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, um, What's I mean, your third truth, Rami? Well, I think that would be it, right? So, for example, I'm... I'm someone who has uh, deep political beliefs on, <laughs> on, on things that are really important for myself. Yeah. And I think that there's no such thing as being non-political. So I think that uh, might as well enjoy that ride and supporting our, and by supporting a mission, you are also driving a big yeah. community. Try to make a difference. You. Try to make a so change. Think, yeah. So yeah. Like grow your impact. And we spoke about this also earlier when you were talking about your mission with Omapreneur. Yeah. And I think that, um, that mission alone is a driving force behind that business more yeah. than just giving value, right? It's 100%. also the mission. Of course, of course. And we'll end, we'll end with this last one by Abdul Shakur because I don't want to leave him hanging, which is at one point, do you stop taking risks? Do we stop taking risks, Rami? Do we ever stop um, taking risks? We never stop taking risks. Um, I think every day, I mean, just like this is... Um, Every day is a challenge, and I don't want to sound like those Facebook philosophers over here <laughs> with those one-liner one quotes, but I think that, um, I mean, just not taking risks puts you in the complacent box, yeah. and that alone is a big risk that you're taking, and probably the biggest risk. The biggest risk is to not take risks with your life. That's honestly... Who came up with that one? I don't know, but you know, we did. Let's just chalk it up as we came up with it, guys. So uh, give us credit if you if you make a Canva quote out of this. Um, so we'll end it here. Rami, any final words for our audience before uh, that, we close off? That's about it. And uh, yeah. All right. So shout, I just want to, again, give a shout out to Rami for showing up, guys. As you all know, he's the founder of Custom Heats. He was kind enough to show up on this podcast live and actually, you know, help me in terms of animating an episode where was I wanted to share my story and it was mainly about me. So I just want to really thank him for doing this and give him a shout out. And guys, if you could support him and his work, uh, go to customheats.com and order yourself a bottle of custom hot sauce, guys, because nothing goes better on that biryani except more hot sauce. You know it. Don't deny it. Go ahead and order now. And do we have a do we have a discount code for the audience here? Uh, today, I think last time I gave a 10% discount. I think yeah. this time we'll we'll double it with a 20% discount. All right. Is there a code or should we drop it later? Um, we're going to use the code. Let's use the code. UMMA20. U-M-M-A-H. 20. All right. So Oma 20 customheats.com. Go ahead and place your order for that 20% discount on your hot sauce. And he's kind enough to offer that as well. And we'll close off today, guys, for this podcast. And I wanted to thank each and every one of you that attended live. I wanted to thank Abdul Shakur. Honestly, like everyone here that shows up, that comments, that actually interacts on the live, like you don't know how much it means to me, guys. Like I love all of you for the sake of Allah. All of you here that are supporting what we're doing with this, we're not making money out of this podcast. There's no sponsorships. We're just trying to give value and keep you entertained in a way that helps you move forward as an entrepreneur, guys. So discount code is created. 
discount code is created. Go ahead and place your orders and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these platforms and join the group if you haven't, inshallah. We'll see you next week, guys. Take care. Assalamu alaikum and we'll see you. Assalamu